Hello and welcome to the Leading Line podcast. Um, I'm your host, Chris Marshall. Hello. And we are back with another episode of There's Your Dinner, where we bring together a shared passion for football and food. Uh, whilst getting to know a familiar face from the world of Scottish women's football. And this time out, I am joined by Liverpool midfielder and Scotland international, Christy Murray. Christy, thank you very much for coming on. You're welcome. Thanks for having me. That, no problem at all. Um, I sent a cheeky DM and you said, yeah, that's cool. Um, so that was, that was very kind of you. How's, how's the last month or so been for you? Been okay, yeah. Like um, like I said earlier, I think it's just it's been good because I've just had like training and stuff to kind of follow. So we've got a plan that we need to kind of follow throughout the week. So it kind of helps my mind and like me still stay like active and busy. So um, So it's been okay. I think obviously... I'm I'm definitely missing being around my teammates and play just playing football. Um, but like, there's more important things going on than now. So I think people's health and everything's more important. But um, I actually can't wait to be back playing at some point. Mm-hmm. I can't wait to go back and see games as well. So uh, I totally appreciate <laughs> that. Um, I was uh, I did a podcast with Martha about a month ago, and she was mentioning that when she came back, she actually didn't get a chance to go. If I had come back from the Pinnacle Cup, I should say she didn't get a chance yeah. to play on the squad again. Is it the same for yourself? Um, well, we had I had met up the next day or the day after that, so I managed to get like one session in, um, and then after that they were kind of like supposed to happen, and they got cancelled. So um, I managed to see the girls briefly, but um, not kind of long enough, if you know what I mean. Like no. it was just kinda, like in for like one or two days, and then that was it, completely done. So um. yeah, well, what we're gonna do is we're gonna have a wee, wee retrospective on your career, and then we'll have a little bit of food chat at the end, like we always do in this podcast. Um, so I suppose. The first question I always like to ask is kind of what's your first memories kind of, of football as a youngster? Um, I think just playing in the park. Like my brother and I are a year apart, so um, I was always playing with him, whether it was like in the front garden, um, in the street outside, just like we are friends. Um, we lived in like a small village um, called Burgady, just outside Glasgow, and we were just like always playing football. That's in, and then in school as well. Like if I was... If I was at home for my lunch, I'd run home, get food, and then run straight back so that we had like a longer playtime to play football. So, like that's probably the earliest memories of like playing football. When uh, when did you first kind of join a club? Um, well, I played for the boys team in school, um, but I wasn't really like they wouldn't let me play because I was really like I'm obviously really small. So when I was when I was really young, I was tiny. So. The, the headmaster at the time was kind of scared that I would kind of get injured playing with the boys, like maybe a little bit older. So he broke his arm and a female headmistress came in. Um, and she was like, well, if she's good enough, she's she's old enough to play. So I think it was in primary five, maybe. So I was like, what, 10? 10, and that was the first kind of roughly, I think, nine, 10. Um, like I played with the boys in the school team. And then I didn't actually join a team until I was 11 or 12, just near the end of primary school. Um, there wasn't really a lot of girls football teams about at that point, so um, so I always played in like up the streets and down the park with the boys, but there was never really much to do. But um, a family friend knew of a, like a local team called Bealiston Girls, um, and they invited me along to train. And then from there on, like I was always I was always like playing in part of that team right up until I was sixteen. So yeah, that's when I did my journey playing um, with a team. Yeah, because then I, I saw you got the opportunity to go to America really young, like 16, was it? Um, <laughs> yeah. To Tennessee. Um, how, how did that come about in terms of getting, getting, especially that age as well? 
Yeah, I think like I'd always kind of wanted to go and play in America. That was kind of at that point the pathway um, for women's football. Um, and I had went on a Scotland camp. I think we went down to Bristol and we played like two or three teams. And yeah. um, my mum and dad travelled down with my brother and sister to watch, and they just went into like a cafe. Um, and they bumped into an Irish guy and they were just chatting and he was like, oh, I'm here for the football as well. And they were like, all oh, right, what are you, who's your daughter? And it kind of got chatting. He was like, oh, I'm a scout for a college team in America. Like, here's my card. And then um, after one of the games, he'd been to watch it. He just said to mum and dad, look, we'd be interested in having Christy across um, to play for us. Um, here's my card. Get, have a chat with her and then give me a call. So it kind of went on from then. But like... I was still sitting in my like standard grades at school. I was only 15 at that point. Um, and I turned 16 in the May and it got to the point where well, I was like, right, okay, I'm going to start my hires in fifth year or I've got the opportunity to go away to America and play. And like, I was obviously buzzing because it gave me the point to like go away and just play football full time. I think I, I wasn't really interested in the academic <laughs> side of it. Like I was at school and I worked hard, but for me, I just seen football and I seen football all the time. So I was like, why not? Um, on on obviously looking back at it, I'm like, Mum, how did you look <laughs> when I was 16? Like, just turned 16, I wasn't even like um, nearly 17, I was 16, so I was like a baby. Um, and she was like, Well, it, Christy, I'm not going to lie, it was obviously so hard, like they were crying and everything at the airport, but she was like, That was your dream and that's what you wanted to do, so like, we wanted to support you with it. So, from then, like, from, it was just kind of from that, really. That was going to be one of my questions. Was it you were over there yourself? Um, how how is that as a as you said as a just turned sixteen year old in a brand new country, very far away from home? Very daunting. I think like it kind of hit when I was on the plane heading over there. My dad and I had been over to visit before it just to kind of check that everything was okay. But I think when on the plane myself, I was kind of like right, okay, this is like head first into the deep end. <laughs> um, so, but like. It was good because when I got there, like, the people were so friendly and so welcoming. So, like, that made it a lot easier for me. Um, I was I'm, I was quite an introverted kid as well. So, like, I think it just put me out of my comfort zone completely and allowed me to actually have to kind of stand up on my own feet and, and develop as a person as well as a footballer. So, um, so that was really good. Like, I'm really glad I'd done it. What uh, prompted to move back to Scotland? Was it, was it just a year you were out over on, in Tennessee for... Um, well, it was supposed to be for four years, like a normal kind of scholarship, but um, it got, I went in the June and I came home in December, so I went out for like a semester, um, but with the intention of staying out there for four years, but I think when it got to the November, December, I got quite homesick, and it was like, I knew that in the spring series there wasn't really any football, so the thought of just staying and doing university at that point like really didn't appeal to me at all if I'm being honest um so and I also couldn't play for Scotland so like with the youth teams obviously the money and stuff that they couldn't like afford to fly me back and there was obviously a lot of other girls who were competing for places in the national team as well so I think in my head like I just wanted to be back and play for Scotland like that was always my like my main aim so um, the the coach was very understanding. Like I still speak to him as well. Like to this day, like a lot of the people that I met out there, I'm still in contact with, and like they're still really close friends, despite me being really young. Do you know what I mean? Like that was quite like um, quite cool. So uh, he was understanding. I was obviously 
really young and he knew that me coming over was a bit of a risk because it could either went either way. So, um, so yeah, like that's why I came home. I just kind of wanted to play so like with Scotland and then also like I wasn't really keen on doing just the academic side in the spring series so because the season's very short in America um, so that's kind of why I came home. So um, you signed for Queen's Park, um, spent, a, spent a season there and then went to Celtic, um, spent four mm-hmm. years there, won the SWPL Cup. See after you'd been in, been in the States and obviously played a bit of football there and coming back. Yeah. What what was that like coming back to? Did it feel a little bit like a dose of reality in some ways? Um, a little bit. Like I think having been out in America and then being exposed to how they train and and like kind of that that lifestyle of being like almost a full time athlete. Like that was definitely like I at home because I came back and we were almost training twice a week. So I'd went from the pre season in America training three times a day which was like up in the morning, you'd like a really long run and then fitness kind of football stuff in the afternoon and then like games in the, in the evening. So like, and then also just a full, a full season pretty much for like college football. So to come back from that and just to like normal kind of, the same as what I'd been doing training twice a week was, was different. But I could see that from being in America, it gave me a physical edge. Like you could see that I had improved because the people that I had, been playing with before some of them were at the um that club as well and I think it showed that I developed more more in my game physically anyway definitely like I felt a lot fitter um and just like I think I just matured a wee bit as a as a player as well so like there was definitely I definitely noticed a difference when I came home. Um as I mentioned you uh, played for Celtic for four years Bit of a sidebar of this question, but in terms of obviously what's happened in Scotland recently with the professionalism of the game, yeah. um, what's, what's your thoughts on that? I'm, I'm guessing mainly positive, but is it, is it something that's been getting a bit of coverage down south at all? I think people were definitely talking about it when it was happening. Like, obviously, Celtic and Rangers are both big clubs, like in terms of the main side. So, I think the investment into the women's side is really positive. And obviously, there's, there's players that maybe are playing down here and maybe don't have the opportunity to play full-time down in England, they're thinking, well, that could be a really good opportunity for me to go and play full-time football and, like, help help the teams push on at home, like, at home in Scotland. So I think it's definitely a really positive thing and anybody that I've spoke to has been um, positive about it. So um, it's good. Like, I think it's definitely going to help push the game on in Scotland as well. Like, Glasgow City are obviously doing, um, doing that as well. So, like, the more teams that are are given that environment to players the more attractive it's going to be for for people to go to Scotland and play which in turn hopefully will help will help push it on again in terms of the levels um, and then obviously people come to watch the games as well like it, it can only be a positive thing I think No I think you're right I think you've seen that already even with sometimes just uh, dealing with clubs now it's a, a level up in that regard um, you mentioned yeah. Glasgow City you then moved on to Glasgow yeah. City what kind of prompted that move again from Celtic to City um, well, obviously going to Celtic for me like was amazing because I was a Celtic fan and I never really knew that that would have been possible um, until they'd only recently just signed, uh, sorry, just started up the team um, before I joined it. So to leave Celtic was difficult for me. Um, but Glasgow City were the best team in Scotland and for me, like the best players were playing there. They were winning. Um, they had a culture of winning. Um, 
they also had a very good coach and like some of the girls that I lived with at the National Performance Centre at the time were playing there as well and I could see them developing and I knew that I wanted to be part of that. Um, so like that's definitely what drew me to the club, the opportunity to play it with the best players and to also play in the Champions League and to win things like that. That is definitely what attracted me to play for Glasgow City. A lot of people, whenever you speak to them about Glasgow City, they always say that um, as a club, they've always got a special place for Glasgow City in particular. Yeah. You've also mentioned you're a Celtic fan, but does Glasgow City have a, yeah. have, a, have a place for you as well? Of course. Like, I think for the three years I was at Glasgow City, like, we won, we'd won everything. We got to the last 32 of the Champions League, which is the first time ever for the club to do that. Um, and I think I developed a lot as a footballer when I was there, both tactically and technically. Um, Eddie definitely pushed and developed me in that sense um, as well as my teammates because like we had that kind of like peer pressure and there was just a drive to get better from everybody and in turn that helped push you so definitely like definitely like that the three years in particular that was there the first time were definitely some really really good memories in football for me um, from City, you then took your first uh, trip down south, uh, yeah. South Arsenal, uh, who at the yeah. time were managed by Shelley Kerr, who is obviously at Scotland yeah. at the moment. Uh, we'll come to Scotland later on, I'm sure. Um, and also had a spell at Bristol City. That first yeah. transfer uh, down, down south, because I know we kind of coming back and forth a little bit, um, did you notice a, a step up when you went, went down to Arsenal the first time? Definitely, I think like I'd obviously watched like Arsenal growing up as well, and like FA Cup finals on television, and I'd followed them throughout when I was younger. So, like, to go to there, having played at Glasgow City, who had a lot of good players, we'd actually just played them in the Champions League at that point, um, just before I signed. And, like, with the calibre of players that they had, like, they just the level just went up even more. Um, I think just being exposed to that daily, like, for the year that I was there, was so, so helpful as a young player. Like, um and there was definitely, you could definitely see like, like the difference in the level, I think, just consistently um, throughout the league and then also just daily in training. Because um, they'd like Kelly Smith, Rachel Yankee, Jordan, yeah. Emma Mitchell was there as well. Um, you just like, you could rhyme Alex Scott, you could rhyme off like all the players were there and they were just serial winners. And like to be part of that like was really good. You um, came back up, uh, played a season with Celtic, and then went down to Doncaster yeah. Rovers Bells. Doncaster Bells at the time, <laughs> now Doncaster Rovers yeah. Bells. Um, yeah. Obviously, they were kind of one of the forerunners for women's football in, in England. Yeah. yeah, they're kind of fourth tier at the moment. What was it like playing for? Was there any similarities with them in, in Glasgow City at all? Because they were both kind of set up the same kind of idea in terms of being standalone clubs. Now that you say that, yes, because like the people running it were obviously very passionate about the club. They had invested so much time in both sides, like Glasgow City and um, and at Doncaster, and you could just see that there was more of a like I don't know, more of a family kind of vibe at the club. Like people had been there a long time, so they knew what it was like to be part of that club. Um, so yeah, there was definitely similarities. I think obviously it was really disappointing and kind of got in to see that Doncaster obviously dropped down four tiers because you know how um how big they were in the women's game like back in the day they'd obviously won yeah. loads of different trophies and stuff and they'd help push the game forward. So I think that was obviously really kinda of disappointing to see. But it's it's difficult and 
the time now with how much money has to be invested in for a club that's kind of run more just kind of without being involved with the men's side, it is a lot more difficult. So, yeah, I think it is disappointing to see that they're down in the fourth tier. I hope that in time that they will come back up. Well, I was going to ask you next, do you think, because I know there's a couple of standalone clubs in the Championship, I think Coventry United are one, and um, Lewis obviously operated that equality where they have both yeah, yeah. the same. Do you think it's possible for a, a solely, especially with the power of the brands in England, do you think it's possible for yeah. a, a solely standalone club to make it into the, uh, the WSL uh, now? I think it is possible for them to come in. I think if they've got the right kind of plans and the right infrastructure in place, then it would be possible, but it's a very hard task to, to sustain it for a long time. I think when you're up against the likes of like big clubs like Chelsea and Man City and Arsenal and clubs that have big budgets that can invest consistently for years, I think it I think it is a very big challenge, but I don't think it's one that's impossible, but it's obviously proved difficult for clubs in the past. Um, yeah, I don't know what you think. I, I think it's very difficult. I think you're right to say that. I, I, especially if somebody can just kind of throw some money at it, it's quite hard. But, you know, if it happens, I'm sure it'll make good good copy and good TV one day. Yeah. That'll be the thing about it. Um, you left on Caster, came back up again, another spell at Glasgow City. When, you, when you've been kind of going back and forth, has it been just in terms of opportunity or has there been any reason why you've kind of been quite fluid in terms of your moves up and down? Yeah, a bit of both, really, to be honest. I think, like, um, when I left... Bristol at the time, like Celtic were investing a bit more in um, in the team, and it was definitely something that I kind of I was definitely attracted to because I wanted to be part of um, helping push them on. Because obviously, Celtic, like I'm a Celtic fan, so like that was de- definitely really attractive to me. Um, and then when I went back to Glasgow City at the last point, um, I knew what I was going to like. I knew the quality of the players that I was going to be training with, and. Um, for me, I wanted to make sure that I was still part of the national team and um, Glasgow City provided an opportunity to go back and to play and I knew that, like, that the level of training and the level of professionalism was going to be up there, so um, that just felt right for me as well. Um, we were speaking just now, you're at Liverpool. Um, yeah. how, how did the move back down again in terms of getting, getting to Liverpool happen for this one? Um, I was well. I'd been playing under. Obviously, I played at Doncaster for a year and a half, and um, Emma Coates, the manager, had moved on. And in between her kind of leaving and me leaving Doncaster, there was maybe about six, seven months, and they didn't, they hadn't really got a manager in place. So Neil Redfern had came in, and he'd just been taking some sessions, not really managing, but he was there, and he was kind of like he was always coaching. He wasn't like he did. He wasn't a manager when I was there, but when I left. The second part of the season, he came in as like full time as a manager. Um, so I'd worked under him, and I'd really enjoyed the time when he was in. Because obviously, he's, he's worked in the men's game. He's got, he's played in the men's game at the highest level. So like, he had a lot of value to add to me, and, and he spent a lot of time trying to work with me and help me get better. So um, he then got the job for Liverpool. So he got in touch with me, and um, he was just like, "Look, I'd love for you to come and play for me um, at Liverpool." So. When I when he got in touch, I was excited because I knew what was what I would be going to work with, who would go to work with, and I knew that um, if there was anybody that was going to help me develop and, and get the best out of my game, like he was definitely one of the people. So that was what attracted me to go to, to go to Liverpool. 
What's it like? Um, so obviously Rangers and Celtic are massive clubs, Glasgow City are a massive club yeah. in women's football context. What's it like being associated to, to Liverpool, a, a true world, like world-renowned global brand? What's, what's it like being associated to, to a club like that? It's great, and I mean, like you know how big football is um, in Liverpool and how big they are, and I think it's it's growing. Like the women's side of the game's growing as well. Like they they want to push it on. So I think to be involved in such a big club, you, you know it's big. I think when you until you come in, you, you don't really realise how big they are yeah. because especially living in the city as well. Like you're either a red or a blue, you're one or the other. It's like living in Glasgow. Like most times you're green or like you're green or blue. So. I think like to be part of like such a big club was definitely exciting for me as well, like um, as a footballer. So yeah, I've like really enjoyed my time being here. They um, they played Everton at Anfield, is that right? Um, yeah, yeah. What's what's your thoughts on the kind of the big event games that have been happening in WSL this season? Because obviously they're getting big numbers. Um, yeah, yeah. And obviously sometimes it's is it translating? Do you feel you like the crowds are getting bigger kind of week on week when it's not those kind of big events? Um, I think it's hard to tell at the moment, obviously, because like we're not we're not playing. But I think the more games that we have in bigger stadiums, and the more that we kind of push the, the kind of events, it gives more people an opportunity to come and see us play. If you play the like, say Anfield, Anfield's like such a big and iconic ground that if you're a Liverpool fan and you hear that the women's team are playing there, you want to go and watch them. It's maybe different if you want to come and watch us in one of our normal domestic league, but if you can get people there and you can get them to see to see us playing and being like, do you know what? They're actually do like I, I want to come back. It's like you can bring your kids and you can afford like you can afford to bring your kids to see it as well. Like I think like the more that they happen, the better and the better it is for the game because it's just exposing more people to to the women's game and hopefully like it catches on and they want to come back and watch us again. So I think that's definitely only a positive thing. And you've seen the crowds, like the crowds at all the games have been very big. So I think like the gotten thing for us was that we were due to play um, Goodison as well, the return leg of the, of the derby. So I think that got cancelled as well twice now. So like that would have been really nice to kind of just have more people from Liverpool come to watch and, and hopefully then for the following year, like get more people involved and more people come to games regularly um, to, watch, to watch us play. Yeah, you mentioned obviously the game. The game against Everton was called off. More yeah. Than, um, yeah. And there was a spate of call off, much like up here. There was mad weather. Um, uh, Liverpool are usually play at Trenton Park. That's right, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Uh, what's What's your take on like Liverpool, uh, any side actually in the WSL who maybe have to share a ground? Because I know there's been some conversations about an old pitch at Trenton Park sometimes isn't the best in the world for players to go on. Um, do you think it'd be good if clubs had their own own venues as such? Um, I think it would be good if they had their own venue. It's just obviously logistics and money as well, isn't it? Like, I think Chelsea, Man City are the ones that have kind of got their own ground. Well, Chelsea definitely got their own ground, which is amazing. And you can see that they're, they're now pushing on and, like, nearly selling out the stadium now. So, like, that's brilliant. And it would be it would be really good if all the kind of teams could do that. But I think it just it really just depends on where the club's at and... What, what grounds are available and stuff like that as well. So um, I don't think it's for not for a want of having those. I think it just it's just obviously part of like developing um, and and pushing the game forward. So like hopefully in time that that I'm sure will be will be like plans like Everton have obviously done that as well. Now they've got their own little ground. Yeah. So I think 
in time, I think that will definitely be the aim for most clubs. Um, it would be great if we had our own, but I think again, it's just going to it's just going to be a matter of time and like developing our side of the game. So. Um, Thinking about uh, the season that's on pause still at the moment, um, no, it's been a bit of a tough one for Liverpool this season. How, how have you viewed it? I know you've obviously had some injuries as well, which maybe stops that a little bit for yourself. Yeah, I think obviously it was it was kind of gotten for the, the season being hold, but I think there's obviously more and bigger things that are kind of going on at the moment. I think people's health is, is the priority. Of course, everybody wants to be back playing football, but... I think that's got to take priority 100%. So everybody's training and making sure that they're ready, but for whenever that is, like, I, I don't really know when it'll be, but um, it's just making sure that it's the right time for everybody and that everybody's safe and that, um, yeah, I don't know. What do you think? Yeah, I think it's just a case of making sure that everything is as safe as possible before we do it. I saw a couple yeah. of conversations about... Um, doing like in big venues and having fans separated as part of one of the ideas for the return of WSL but yeah I'm with you as long as it's safe I think that's an important yeah. thing and I think that's a big thing going forward um, let's move away from club football let's talk about Scotland because Scotland's yeah. sound it's where we're from it's all good um, yeah. you've been part of the Euro 2017 and the World Cup squad as well yeah how much have you felt that the game's come on like in the last decade from when you've made your debut up until that that point in the, in the Netherlands where Scotland did qualify for a major tournament for the first time? Massively, I think just in every sense, like players are fitter now, more, pretty much all our players are full-time professionals and if they're not, they're still training full-time. So I think, well, we were always kind of training full-time but not really maybe getting the rewards for it like in terms of a job. But like I think now this, the, the interest as well, like we've went from playing in front of maybe four or five hundred people to now playing in front of everybody at Hamden, which was what, nineteen thousand? Yeah. Something like that, a bit more. So I think before we went into the World Cup, so I think even just in terms of like from the from when I first started playing from Scotland to now, like the games games grown hugely and I think a big part of that is us qualifying for national like big tournaments. Definitely um, when we qualified for the Euros. That was the first big step because that was the first time ever that we'd done it. So I think people being allowed to watch the games on the television and, and just being exposed to the women's game, it just kind of excites that interest in it. I think it allows young girls to watch it and be inspired and be, be like, you know what, I want to be there one day. Like, I want to play for Scotland. Like, I want to do that. And um, it just hopefully gets more girls playing in Scotland as well, which in turn will hopefully help drive the standard up even more but I think the qualifying for the World Cup last year was definitely like you can see that it's pushed the game on again like the Celtic and Rangers both going for like full-time professional like it's just keeping that momentum going it's keeping pushing the game forward in Scotland. What's it like to be in a, in a squad at a World Cup it's something that will probably not happen in my life now unfortunately <laughs> um, but uh, yeah what's it like to be part of like a World Cup squad at a major tournament as well? Um, I think for me it was definitely a dream come true and I think for everybody else in the team it was the same. Like We'd obviously, over the years coming through the national team, always aimed to get to a major tournament. But I think as a football player, the World Cup is like the pinnacle, isn't it? So um, it was pretty amazing to be part of the, the, the squad that went out to, to France in the World Cup. And it's like, it's surreal kind of looking back on it now when you see like, 
like photos and stuff watching the games when we played in England to play in the um, PSG stadium against Argentina like it's and the, the size of the crowds and the people that were going and the amount of people that watched the game on television like to be part of like such a talented squad and stuff for me is like obviously an honour so um, I've only got like really fond memories from it same. It was good being out there. It was nice, <laughs> nice to be at a World Cup and actually remember it happening because uh, I remember France '98, but that's that's yeah. the that's first World Cup I could actually go to. So that was awesome. Yeah. Um, Did you enjoy the World Cup? Did you enjoy it? Oh yeah, absolutely. I was over for a week, yeah. so I only um, went to Scotland Japan. It was a game I went to. I was going to stay for the Argentina yeah. game, yeah. Uh, but I couldn't sort it with my work, uh, and I still can't decide if that's a good or a bad thing that I wasn't able to. Um, Hang on, that one. I was going to ask yeah. about that that game because obviously it was like so close, and then yeah, happened that last. Is that something that I, I'm assuming just drives you all on now in terms of looking ahead to obviously the Euros and, and forthcoming campaigns? Definitely, I think like when you play against like because I mean we had some of the top teams in the world in our group. You've got Japan and England, and, and then Argentina had also played that World Cup. But I think for us to go there and know that we competed with those teams and like really gave it a go was it can only give you confidence to go like into the into the Euros uh, campaign and want to qualify again. I think it just makes you more hungry, to be honest. Um, because even obviously the the difference between when we played England and the Euros, which the score was very high and we've we've took them to two one at like in the first game, and then obviously playing against Japan, who have won the World Cup as well in Argentina. Like the Argentina game was, I think, gotten as well because we'd done so well, and then. Obviously, it was run right to the wire. So I think definitely from us, like there's a lot of positives that we can take from it, and a lot of things that we can learn from um, to use going forward into the next kind of campaign for the Euros, and then hopefully another World Cup. Yeah, I mean, you mentioned it earlier on the kind of increase in fan support, and the mm. first qualifier against Cyprus East Road it was like six thousand three hundred ish. Can't remember the yeah. off my head. Um, that's also a record for a qualifier in Scotland, which it was, which was fantastic yeah. to see and a really comfortable start as well, a good victory. And then, um, also you managed to get some game time in Albania and scored a, yeah. a bit of a bit of a world day. Let's be fair. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, what's what was it like coming back? And obviously from the kind of high of being at the World Cup to the kind of low of not quite making it out of the groups, to then obviously uh-huh. starting um, starting the qualifiers and kind of having is it fair to say maybe the probably the easiest games in the group. Um, as a kind of way, does yeah. that help in terms of like easing you into the qualifying process? Um, I think so, but I think there's always a pressure. Like I think because we qualified for games now, there's there's pressure on us, and people expect that that we qualify and that we do well. So I think it's making sure that we're still focused because I think now that the level of the international game is is pushed on as well. So like teams that maybe you would think that are low down, it's not something that you could take for granted, and you can just think all right we're just going to beat them because it doesn't really work like that anymore um but for us to get off to such a good start against Cyprus at home and then Albania away as well which is a tricky one to just travel there and stuff so I think they were really positive performances for us to start our campaign definitely there's been a bit of chat in the kind of couple of days leading to us having this this chat today about playing the game playing the rest of the qualifiers at the back end of this year in terms of mm. Then it's going kind to of September, October, November, so condensing it quite a yeah. bit. Do you think that'll feel slightly different? Because usually when you're, you're playing internationally, it's maybe a couple of games and then maybe two or three months. Do you think that yeah, yeah. intenseness, is that something you're looking forward to if you're involved? 
I think if it happens, I think it'll be really good because it will give us an opportunity to build like momentum. I think sometimes when there's big gaps, like you almost feel like you're trying to condense things in such a short period of time and then just like back to back get two games like and then you're not seeing each other for a, for a while. So I think it actually could be quite positive for us. Like I think um well like I said again, it's just like it just allows us to be together as a group as well and, and to play more like competitive games like is only a good thing. Do you think that um having having the tournament in England as well, we're obviously so close it should hopefully see even more folk than uh, headed over to France yeah. to the games as well. Yeah, and that's the aim, like obviously we want to qualify um and go to England, but I think being so close, like France was obviously very close for for everyone to travel over, but to even just play in England, it's like a road trip away. Yeah. So that would be perfect and it would allow so much more fans from home just to come and support. So like that would be amazing. It's obviously the aim to try and help again push our, our game at home up forward. There's a there's one other tournament that's kind of quite significant, I think has a great significance in women's football just now as opposed to men's game, which is the Olympics. Mm-hmm. Um, and obviously there's been a lot of chat just now about Team GB and what, what that is. What, what does Team GB mean to you? Is it something that if you had the opportunity you would go for or...? Is it something that you don't really concern yourself with too much? Um, I haven't really thought about it, to be honest. Obviously, I follow it and whatever, and I think it would be a massive honour to play for them. Of course, I, like, I would, but um, I think you could see from the, the 2012 Olympics, we obviously had a few girls playing in it, and I think the game, how much it developed following the 2012 Olympics was amazing. So like, I think, again, it, it would be so good if we had players... Um, playing in it, I think it, it would be great. Yeah. Um. You've, so you've done World Cup, you've done European Championships, you've won titles and cups. What, what have you got? What's, what's your plans for the future? Do you mean playing? Well, yeah, you mean... Well, keep playing for as long as you want. But have you got any aspirations yeah. for like after the game to stay in it, or have you not thought about it yet? Um. No, I would. I would love to stay in it. I think. Um, I don't really know in what capacity that will be, but I think definitely I want to stay in football. Like it's my passion, and I think that having been in it for a long time, I just feel like if there's, I feel like I've a lot to offer. I just don't know, and to help to help you maybe young players come through. Like, um, but I think I do see myself in football. I'm just not sure in what what capacity I've done. We got the opportunity to do a B license a couple of years ago through the national team. So I've done that and I never really thought I would see myself in coaching. Um, but it's maybe something now that actually quite excites me and it's something that I would definitely be keen on exploring potentially. Um, I'm pretty open-minded, I think, when it comes to like what's next after football, but I think I definitely see myself being in football. Um, do, you see yourself <laughs> back up, do you see yourself coming back up to Scotland to play before you... You kind of finish up, or as you said, do you just kind of take it as it as it comes? I mean, never say never. Like, I think I would love to stay in England um, and and play down here for a bit. But um, with football, you just never know. I think like things change very quickly, and and some opportunities present themselves, and you're just like, well, I can't really say no. So, never say never. Never say never. Cool. Well, we'll leave the football bit for there just now and what we'll do, <laughs> we'll do a quick round of there's a dinner so just some food questions nothing super taxing just to okay. get, get a little insight so how would you rate yourself on the foodie scale are you, are you big into your food yeah i'm very big into food i love cooking and i love going out for food okay. it's a good job because if i didn't like i don't know where i would be 
Well, yeah, my uh, my Instagram has changed from like football to like plates of plates of dinner. Like the last, <laughs> like seven weeks, so yeah, um, I'm very grateful that I, I like to get the pots and pans out. Um, what's what's your kind of? I know that obviously uh, players tend to have very similar diets in terms of yeah. when when you're training. Is there anything? Uh, what's what's your kind of usual routine? Do you mean just like game day or training day or anything? Yeah, like, absolutely. So, like for example, if you are in the lead up to the game, like what would be your kind of routine in terms of what you would eat? Um, it varies. Like sometimes it, I can just be going through a phase of like eating some things and then other things. But like if it's a game day, I kind of like to eat more plain. I love like flavored foods and I love spicy foods, but I think when it comes to like game day, as plain as possible is probably better for me. Um. It just means that, you know, sometimes like when you've had something spicy or you've had something that's quite rich, it just, you just don't feel quite as good when you're going to play. So I think for me, it would always just be kind of simple stuff. Eggs and toast and, and pasta. I know that sounds boring, but that is kind of boring. But when it comes <laughs> to like game day, I would, I would normally go quite plain. But during the week, like I enjoy cooking and stuff. So it would be, I, I like trying new things like for, for cooking. So um, that would probably be my go-to is when, when it's game day. Is it something that uh, you get support with from Liverpool? Like, do you have any nutritionists at the club just now? Uh, yeah, we do have a nutritionist in it. Um, if we need any kind of support with that, like you're, you're like, like you're able to go and kind of speak to them. And if you need kind of like a plan in place, then they're happy to help with that. Um, so yeah, I think for me, I think growing up, we've been exposed to like through the national team and different clubs that have been at a lot of different nutritionists and like this is good this is maybe not what to do and and I think you kind of find for yourself what works for you um so like I tend not to but if I've got some questions and they're always there if, if I need to ask. Do you think that sometimes people get too hit up in their diet in terms of following maybe plans when actually it's maybe just finding it what's best best for you? Yeah, and I, th- I think you can only really do that from trial and error sometimes. Um, I think and I think the biggest thing is just working out what, what works best for you whilst also being conscious of what's best for you as well because sometimes the two of them don't quite add up um, in terms of what you like, but um, it's trying to find kind of a balance and making sure that you still enjoy what you're eating and you're not bored and you're not like eating it for the sake of eating it, do you know what I mean? Yeah, so, absolutely. You've mentioned uh, you like doing a bit of cooking. What's what's yeah. your uh, what's your kind of go tos? What's your signature dishes? Oh, I don't know if I've got signature dishes. <laughs> um, I love I love cooking fajitas. Like they're a, they're an easy just a staple because it's like that's my favourite food. Um, I do enjoy making like different curries and stuff as well. Um, there's a restaurant in Liverpool that I go to sometimes, and that's called Mowgli. It's like an Indian street food. Um, so I, I bought the recipe book for that. So I had a couple of I had a couple of attempts at some of the curries in that, which are really nice. Um, I enjoy cooking steak as well. Um, and preferred type of steak. Fillet steak. Fillet steak. Nice. What about you? I like a ribeye because you get a little bit of fillet and you get a little bit of sirloin with it. That's usually the most expensive one. <laughs> They're <Yeah>. massive. <laughs> oh yeah, you just have it with like a bit of veg and your sound. <laughs> um, in terms of like your favourite food, so say say you were told that you could, you were put on a desert island and you could only eat one thing for like the rest of the time. What what would it be? Oh. 
Like a dinner. Aye, we'll, 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 we'll let you have dinner because I've said single items before and it's gone badly. <laughs> it would be fajitas. It yeah. definitely would be. Yeah, I wouldn't get sick of eating them. Fajitas are great. I think anybody who doesn't like fajitas <laughs> is, is probably... I don't think we could be friends. <laughs> <laughs> um, and, <laughs> oh, I don't know. I could I could speak about this for ages and people are already sick of my voice because I've been doing so many of these. But um, what about if we flip it around the other way? Um, and you, like, what would be the worst thing that somebody could put in front of you? I think, like, oh, that's easy. Um, like, seafood, like, pro, not, well, I can eat prawns, but, like, you know, calamari and yeah. um, crab and lobster, and, mm-mm, not for me. Uh, what, what's, because uh, these are things I love, so I'm curious to see what's... I know. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> no, you're all right. So what is it about them that just doesn't do it for you? I don't know, I think the textures and stuff and like, it just doesn't like, I've tried lobster before and it just, it's not that I hated it, I just didn't really like it, but it's like more the kind of like, big seafood platters and stuff, Mm-mm. and the smell, uh, I, I enjoy a seafood platter. Sorry. Well, what I will say is, I think lobster gets a lot of hype for something that's just as good as like some of the other things that are a lot cheaper. Uh, but yeah. yeah. Uh, right, okay, I've got a question, so this is a question I ask everybody, and it's to do with tunnocks. Um, Tunnocks bake a caramel wafer, caramel log, or oh, your eyes lit up before I even finish saying them. <laughs> a, a tea cake or a snowball. Uh, if you could only pick one, yeah. which one would you pick? Easy caramel wafer. That's my favourite. It's my favourite biscuit. What, what's, what, what makes it your favourite biscuit? I don't know. It's not like really heavy or anything. It's just quite light. It's got chocolate on it. So it's like a win win. Yeah, I, I'm a big fan of the caramel. Have you had the. Because the, they started to like dark chocolate versions of them as well, I noticed. Like of oh, no, I tried them. Yeah, so see if you see like the tunnocks wrapper and it's blue instead of red, it's a uh, dark chocolate ones. Oh, well, they don't do them in England. I think it's a push to try and find the caramel wafer in England. I was going to, I was just about to ask you that. Are they easy? Enough? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, they're in Liverpool. Yeah, you can actually, but obviously because we went into like lockdown, there isn't really many about. <laughs> <laughs> so um, I have got some, but like it's a bit harder to find. Whereas at home, like they obviously they're a lot easier to get. Oh, they're an essential item up here just now. Yeah. Like, everybody needs them. Whereas everyone... Yeah, people in my shopping list. <laughs> <laughs> Down in Liverpool, it's just a case of, like, every Scottish person has just bought them all already and it's now, like... <laughs> I know. Uh, right, let's, let's say everything goes super well. Um, and let's say the season comes back uh, and you win a, win a trophy at Liverpool and you're mm-hmm. organising the night out. Where, where would the night out go? What, what would you do? Oh, that's a hard one. Um, I'd probably say go for food first. Um, there's so many nice restaurants in Liverpool, um, like independent ones, so probably one of them and then just go about the city. Like, there's a lot of really nice like places to go and it's such a vibrant city that um, you can always have a good time wherever you go, so it would probably be, probably just in the city centre. I, I, I was, uh, you mentioned Mowgli earlier on. Is there any other recommendations you should make if uh, anybody's in Liverpool? Um, God, there's loads. Um, there's a kind of like Thai place called Pho, which is really nice. Um, I usually go there as well. Sometimes after a game, I'll, I'll go there because it's like it's really fresh and yeah. tasty. Um, don't know, you need to give me a cuisine and I can try and help you. <laughs> <Is> that many? <laughs> no, that's all right. For, we've got fun, Mowgli. That's two more than I knew before I started this podcast. So everybody's yeah. learning, so that's important. But 
Um, well, Christy, thank you very much for doing this again. It's really appreciated. I hope it wasn't too bad for you. No, no, thanks for having me on. I really enjoyed it. No problem. And if you enjoyed listening to this, then please remember you can subscribe through all the usual channels, iTunes, Spotify, SoundCloud, Google Podcasts, websites, leadingtheline.com, Twitter, at leadingtheline. Lots of good reviews are excellent. <laughs> but for now, thank you very much for listening and speak again soon. Catch you later. See you later.